listening to First Church Charlotte. Amen, amen. God bless you all. Thank you, Pastor Don. Amen. I want to uh, direct your attention here to Mark chapter number nine, and we're going to read together. If you have your Bible with you, open it on your lap or uh, whatever your favorite technological solution is. We are going to read uh, the passage of the Gospel of Mark where Jesus heals the boy uh, when his disciples could not uh, heal the boy through faith. Um, Jesus is able to do through authority what we can only do through faith. Um, why is that important? Uh, because what he is looking for is faith. What he's looking for from us is faith. Uh, faith is the necessary agreement, earth to heaven, that we believe and we claim together and we unify around the promises of God. Faith is what God is looking for. When he reviews us, when he reviews our um, respective church, our various congregations, various languages, our two locations now. When he reviews us, he wants to find faith. Faith is the requirement of earth's agreement with heaven. If we can find faith, we have a chance at fruitfulness. But if we don't even have faith, there's never a chance for fruitfulness. So we are reading here in Mark chapter number nine, verse number 14. To clarify, I did not finish up love, marriage, and relationships. That is a never ending subject. And so we are actually talking to our pastoral team about perhaps starting an ongoing small group format uh, where we can continue exploring that. All right. Mark chapter number nine. They have just come down from the mountaintop. And this is where we find the text. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. In the absence of Jesus, all religious meetings are chaotic and divisive. In order for them to be purposeful and unified, you need Jesus to show up. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Remember, what is heaven looking for? And he answered him and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? What is God looking for upon reviewing the hearts and minds of his disciples looking for faith? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him 
and fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, this is Jesus praying, excuse me, (laughs) this is Jesus asking the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? So the father says from childhood and often a demon has thrown the boy both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. That is a unique insight into the nature of this malady. Um, A lot of people want to explain away the symptoms as something related to a naturally occurring disease of the mind, but that ignores the malevolence of the spirit. The spirit seeks to destroy the But if you, Jesus, could do anything, have compassion on us and help us, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, what is heaven looking for? What is he looking for? Faith. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. This is a powerful scripture. It is often misused and misquoted, but it is powerful and it should resonate within us. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Here's the reality. Desperation requires no effort, but you have to work for faith. Desperation requires no effort. It's natural to the human story. It is threaded through the human connection. Desperation is part of us but you have to work for faith. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly. It's almost as though Uh, It's not just the boy being convulsed now, but the spirit is being convulsed as though Jesus has turned the torment of the tormentor back upon the malevolent spirit, the tormentor itself. Then the spirit cried, convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And the boy became as one dead so that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Remember that, prayer and fasting. So we are uh, approaching this scripture carefully. We are addressing this text intentionally, and we are applying ourselves to understanding it, not simply in a type of religious formula. It's not a path to personal power. It is a quest to understand the realm of the spirit and the nature of spiritual authority. If you have spent much time around people who are very, very strong in faith and they come from a religious inheritance where that is celebrated almost to a fault, 
there are some groups who believe that it is your if you have anything go wrong, it is a spiritual failure. Uh, there's some groups who believe if you uh, are sick at all, it is a spiritual failure. Um, I personally am not sympathetic to that. Um, I'm not. I I I, th- I think I understand that the desire that motivates them is a good desire, uh, but I think it goes too far speaking about things that are in the realm of God, heart of God, will of God, which we do not control. We have to always remind ourselves we serve God. God does not serve us. Therefore, we let our words be few and we walk humbly before the presence of the Lord. So Jesus has been in a place of spiritual elevation He took with him the inner circle, Um, their unique place is not accidental. Um, If any of you have uh, read the book that I wrote where I talk about the levels of discipleship, the three is an inner level of great revelation and they hold as a result of that a, a specific spiritual place that is not just of this world, but is in many ways uh, to all the world to come as they represent something unique in the gift and role of revelation among the people of God. They come with Jesus and they find this uh, circumstance of confusion. Now, I've read the story. I don't want to take time retelling it, uh, but I do I do want us all to, if at all possible, I want us to have a a certain sympathy for the disciples who mean well, but they haven't the ability to do what they wish they could do. The reason why I want us to have a sympathetic um, heart toward them is because like them, all of us want to do things that we cannot do. We are not better than them. We are just like them. We want to write spiritual cat checks that our spiritual bank account can't cover. And this is brought to a moment of intentional, instructional focus. When Jesus on the mountaintop, revealing the things of God, returns to the valley, all of us wish we could live on the mountaintop but the work is in the valley. All of us wish we could spend all of our time in those high holy places, but that's not where people live. The work is in the valley and we have to have a comfort in our spirit of going to the valley. And what do we find in the valley? Not revelations of Elijah and Moses. (laughs) We find people hurting, people broken, people oppressed and possessed. We find the reality of religious contention. There was a little bit of that in the mountaintop, but that was smacked down really quick. And Peter received yet another lesson of uh, speaking less. But in the valley, you find lots of contention and uh, you find that unless Jesus is there, there was no one to settle these contentious questions and theological claims unless Jesus is there. You'll notice this in the scripture. I don't have time to teach this tonight. I have preached it and taught it before. You'll notice in the scripture 
that Jesus is always focused upon the need in the the scene, the need in the context, the need in the moment. Others argue the theology. He focuses on the need. This is, in many ways, the profound difference between him and John the Baptist. Jesus never went political. John the Baptist did. He spoke to Herod. Jesus ignored Herod. Was Jesus alive when Herod was doing all those ugly things? Yes. But Jesus didn't speak to him. Why not? He's focused on the need. He did not come to argue with kings. He came to set the captive free. And he doesn't just say this in the synagogue, standing before a rapt and astonished audience. He lives this before the people. And so when John the Baptist sends messengers saying, are you the one or should we look for another? Jesus, again, doesn't argue theology. He doesn't exegete prophecy. Jesus says, look, blind eyes open, sick people healed. He shows John the Baptist's human need. Jesus is the only wise God. He is the eternal father robed in flesh, but he's always looking for the valley of despair where he can save somebody, help somebody, bless somebody. We, as representatives here on earth, we should have a same hunger where we focus on human need. We let other people argue. We let other people fight. We focus on human need. We never forget that God is a person. So uh, two possible explanations of person. On one hand, some people think of a person as a sub-entity of a larger whole, like a person within a community. That is not how we think of God as a person. Um, if that is the only definition of person, God is not a person because he does not exist as a sub-entity in a larger whole, a larger set, a larger community. Um, he is the larger and we exist in him. So if that is your definition of person, you have to understand God does not exist in time. Time exists in God. Okay, moving along. If you were define person as a self-sovereign entity of choice, preference, essence, and personality, unique disposition, then yes, he's a person. That means we need to ask God how we're doing. We don't have to fight over it. We can go to our prayer room and say, God, how am I doing? He's real. If you're wondering whether or not you should try something, you can ask God as a person. That is why the astonishment of uh, the apostle Wright uh, advising us to call upon him as Papa or Daddy or Abba Father. This is within a Jewish context where they won't even write the name of God. And he's calling, we're being admonished or think of God as Papa, as Daddy. It is an astonishing realization that he's real. <laughs> he's a real person in the sense that I defined it. All right, so here Jesus comes into this valley of despair where what the religious offer to the broken is disagreement and argument. This is the valley of despair. And we're all living in the valley of despair. How do I mean? The valley of despair is when there's no solution to your spiritual brokenness. And instead, what the religious do is argue over who was right first and who said what when. And rather than loving you, they hate each other. 
Unfortunately, there is plenty of that in the history of the church. Unfortunately, even today, there are churches that are specialists in arguing and hating, disapproving and rebuking. All the while, they're surrounded by the broken spiritual hearts of a generation, city, a metro, a community, a family, a neighborhood. Have they done anything there? Well, no, they were too busy defending their personal interpretation of a selected scripture. All right. The valley of despair is when instead of there being an answer to human brokenness and spiritual pain, there's only a religious community hating each other and fighting vociferously. Jesus shows up. He cuts through all the debate. You know, he uh, never really answers uh, the scribes and their criticism. He just wants to know what they're arguing about. Um, If we understand the text, (laughs) he never even, besides asking them a question, he never even gives them an answer. His only communication is for the father in need and the disciples in hunger. How do we have this kind of strength? How can we make a difference? He has no answer for the contentious scribes. Consider about that. He just kind of shrugs his shoulders and rolls his eyes. Oh, faithless generation. As if to say, there you go again. (laughs) And so here we see uh, three big issues. There's a lot of small things um, in the issues, but there's, there's, well, let me, let me narrow it down rather than three. Let me narrow it down to two because these are fundamental. And if we don't address these, it won't matter how technical we get in all the sub details that give us inspiration and uh, even insight. Here's the two big ones, the failure of the disciples and the power of Jesus. Again, the two big points in the story are the failure of the disciples and the power of Jesus Christ. There's other issues, yes, such as we've talked about the contentious religious crowd, the endless story of human pain, the reality of spiritual oppression that is layered on top of physical reality. Remember, we're all material and spirit. We are spirit and material, spirit and flesh. As a result, all of us have everything that is us manifest in the material and the spirit. Everything we are, everything we do manifest in the material and the spirit. Yes. So in a malady like this, it's only natural for there to be an expression. How? In the material and in the spiritual. In the material, the seizure-like behavior. In the spiritual, malevolence. Again, In the flesh, seizure-like behavior. In the spirit, malevolence, self-harm, self-destruction. I think almost all spiritual battles have components in both the flesh and in the spirit. If in no other way, then they are battlefields fault upon beings that are most rooted in the material. It comes easy to us. The flesh is understandable. It's the spirit we have to struggle for and seek to understand, do you see? Uh, And so these components of oppression are real. Um, The disciples are there representing Jesus. 
even when he's not. This is a perfect example of why it's a good thing that the Holy Spirit was given. It's a good thing that Jesus came again unto us. He said, I go away, but it's good for you. What is he talking about? Through the power of the Spirit, he can be on the mountaintop and in the valley at the same time. It's the gift of God, the promise not received by those great men and women of the, you know, hall of fame of faith, but received by us. We have received this good thing, God's presence with us. And so here, Jesus is there. The disciples have failed. Um, Jesus is moved with compassion. There's a whole Bible study right here in the the Father saying, look, um, have mercy on me. Help my unbelief. There's a whole Bible study because when you don't know what to do, start with asking. When you don't know what to do, start with seeking. When you don't know what to do, start with knocking. Um, If you can believe all things are possible, immediately the father cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If you don't know what to do, start with asking. If you don't know what to do, start with seeking. If you don't know what to do, start with knocking. That's what he does. And Jesus speaks to this unclean spirit and it is removed. I I, want to talk about the misapplication here of this text. It's always dangerous to take one scripture and elevate it above other scriptures. Uh, We can be guilty of that too. Uh, Scripture divides and interprets scripture unless Jesus himself has raised scripture higher than another scripture. We should be very, very cautious about elevating one scripture above another scripture. If Jesus did it, uh, that's one thing such as what is the greatest commandment? That's Jesus saying it, not your local friendly neighborhood pastor. That's Jesus. We'll go with that. Uh, Secondarily, uh, if an apostle in writing moved on by the spirit, if he brings special scripture to emphasis, then yes, we will perhaps hold that uh, with special reverence. But outside of that classification, scripture interprets scripture. Uh, We can't pick a favorite scripture and then Uh, build their three tabernacles and exclude the other things the Bible has to say. This is what we mean of when we say misapplication. This is one of the most, and I'm sad to say this because all of us need more faith. I'm sad to uh, understand this. All of us need more faith. We even need more faith teaching and preaching, but there is risk here. Uh, And that is this. If you can believe All things are possible to him who believes. Well, if you hold that scripture in isolation and you do not let scripture interpret scripture, um, you are setting yourself up for a spiritual trial that is unnecessary. This isn't all the Bible has to say on this subject. Let me read 1 John 5, 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in Jesus. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Do you see? Yes. See how scripture makes scripture clear. First John five and 14. If we ask anything, this is the confidence we have in Jesus. If we ask according to his will, he hears us. Let me give you another example. Scripture interprets scripture. Jesus went a little further. 
fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. Is this a failure of faith on Jesus's part? Is the guy who says and teaches that uh, this kind of strong interpretation of uh, Mark 9, verse number 23, uh, did, did Jesus not have enough faith to be delivered? Um, you can see the logical consequence of too strong an interpretation or too high an elevation of verse 23 over other passages. Another one, this is the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12 and 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times. What did the Lord say back to him? Uh, My grace is sufficient. Uh, Was this a failure of faith? Excuse me while I take a drink of water. Was this a failure of faith on the part of the apostle? I don't think so. Old time preachers used to say all things are possible, but they need to be on God's menu. (laughs) All things are possible, but they need to be on God's menu. Um, Secondarily, uh, we can ask amiss, which reveals more about our lusting heart than God's purpose or plan. Um, If we ask for selfish or sinful reasons, James 4, uh, verse number three, if you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you, excuse me, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Or uh, rebellion, uh, disobedience in our life. Uh, This is 1 John 3, verse number 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Strong, right? Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. How about that? Um, (laughs) You can see the necessary clarity that is placed here when we look at everything the Bible has to say on a subject uh, rather than not rather than just selecting a favorite thing uh, here or there. Um, now I want to having dealt with the two big issues of this passage again there's a lot here. you guys know how I like to nerd out but we're going to stay with the big pieces um, the failure of the disciples and the power. Of Jesus Christ. Jesus brings clarity to the disciples in the following way. Number one, where's your faith? Faith is in some manner spiritual expectation, but it exists beyond a human calculus. Do you see? It exists beyond a religious algorithm. It exists beyond theological formula. It is in somehow threaded through the expectancy of a heart that loves God and a God that loves that believing heart. It is somehow threaded through the beauty of a child's expectancy and the zeal of a disciple's expectancy. And there is no abracadabra formula that is in some way universally placed 
within the reach of us disciples. If anyone tells you otherwise, I would suggest, forgive me for being so honest, that they may be willing to do what the Bible does not do, which is formulize a relationship with God. The miraculous happens as gifts from the spiritual to the material. In the spiritual world, all of these things are easy. Speak, things are done. In the material world, there are laws of nature. There are biological uh, limits. There are realities of mortality and aging. That's in the physical. In the spiritual, it's all available. In the physical, uh, you need to quit eating so much sugar. Do you see? <laughs> this is, I'm talking to myself and hitting you by accident. This is the reality of how beyond the atmosphere of the material exists our reach into the spiritual realm. And it can be through faith, spiritual expectancy in God's word that we pull, as it were, the power of God or the gift of God or the what have you, define it your favorite choice of words. We pull that reality into this reality by faith. Now, this isn't just with the miraculous. Everything that happens in the realm of spirit is we reaching into the spirit realm to accomplish something that has an effect, a result, a product in the material. That's why the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. This isn't the violence of the flesh. This is the contestation of the spirit. Do you see? This is people of God through prayer reaching into the spirit realm as though to pull people from the fire. Is there mystery here? Yes. But remember your capacity for entertaining and hosting the presence of God is directly related to your capacity to live in the mystery of God. One of the dangers of organized religion is we want to explain the mystery away. One of the dangers of religious organization, and we're a religious organization, but one of the dangers is that we formulize that realm and we have a dry, dead, boring answer for every childlike faith spoken in hope. We cannot explain away the mystery of God. God can allow me to go through chemotherapy and heal a new convert sitting right beside me. And I can get bitter about it. But it won't matter because the reality of connection between the material and the spiritual world is in somehow access through faith. And we as both material and spiritual through faith access the realm of the spirit and in a mysterious way that I will not explain and I will fail if I try. The heavenly exists side by side with the material. It's not the distance. It's the realms. I know we look up when we pray and that's for our psychological benefit. God is not above or below. God is in here. He's everywhere, but in a different realm. The best example of this is quantum physics. How 
even the math proves that these worlds can harm. Don't don't make no. I'm going to stop there. It is the greatest lesson of physical demonstration of spirit world possibility that exists in all human experience and exposure in this preacher's opinion. So uh, through faith, somehow we trapped in a world of limits bridge to a world of limitless potential and power. How do we grow in that way? How do we become in that way? How do we how is faith exercised? How is hope strengthened? Um, here's the thing. Prayer, fasting are directly related to access of faith. So I'm, I'm getting ready to wrap up here. So give me a few more minutes of your attention and we'll go. We're going to wrap up. What is prayer and what is fasting? So rather than giving you a demonstration of prayer, which we do on a regular basis, uh, rather than taking away your meal for tomorrow, uh, which would make you very much an unhappy uh, boy or girl. Um, I want to say it in a clearer, a clearer manner. Prayer is me saying yes to heaven. And fasting is me saying no to self. It's a positive and a negative, like current in your electrical wires. It's a positive and a negative. Prayer is me saying yes to God. It is my imploring. It is my request. It is my seeking, asking, knocking. It is me saying again and again, God, you will send a revival according to your promise and your will. It is you joining with me and praying again and again. We pray for our college kids. We pray for our children. We pray for every individual on the first church prayer list. It is us saying yes to God. But that's not all of it. Fasting is us saying no to self. And the power of fasting is that it, let me use this example. Prayer is me trying to run faster. Fasting is me taking off the backpack of carnality that's slowing me down. Do you see? Prayer is me loaded down, cares, distractions, pains, sorrows, disappointments, bitternesses, church hurt, world hurt, family hurt, marriage hurt, hurt, hurt. And now I'm going to go pray. I'm loaded down, freighted down. You get the idea. Is prayer good? Yes. Is it the right thing? Yes. It's me saying yes. It's the lived amen. Yes. And so be it. You are my hope. Yes. And so be it. You're my promise. Yes. And so be it. Fasting is when I say, okay, I'm not just trying to stumble toward God. I'm laying down all of this weight. I'm getting off. I'm getting off all my distractions. I'm turning off the TV. I am shutting down social media. I am stopping listening to sports radio all day. I I never take a shot at sports radio. That's a new one. Lord, help me. I'm going to get off YouTube. There's a shot at me. Um, And I'm going to not stumble under the weight of things toward God. 
I'm going to, having found myself mysteriously lightened, I'm going to run toward God. Um, so uh, let's, let's end with this. The fundamental issue is they wanted to accomplish something spiritual that they could not accomplish. They failed. Jesus pointed out the necessity of faith. One individual asked, God, help my faith. The disciples have heard a lot of teaching. They've done a lot of praying. They want a little bit more insight. Why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we do it? I think I'm believing. I, I feel myself saying this all the time. I think I'm believing. I think I'm believing. <laughs> here, here's, the, here, here's the reality. Um, in the mystery of how through spiritual violence, if you'll allow me to say it that way, which can confuse. So maybe I should rephrase it in case that confuses you in some way, rather than spiritual violence through the insistence that's taught to us by the woman and the unjust judge. Why the unjust judge? Is God unjust? No. What's the lesson? It's her indefatigable, how do I say, her relentlessness her refusal to be fatigued, her, it's a type of violence, <laughs> not physical violence. It is a absolute sold out. I will not be denied. Prepared, pre prepare to see me for the rest of your life. And why does the unjust judge work? Because he cares? No, he's unjust. But because of her, how shall we say this, will. So if you apply that scripture to my mildly confusing statement of spiritual violence, think in terms of will to purpose. Who has a greater will to purpose? So the biggest test of your will to purpose is how much trouble do you have to go through? How much trouble will make you quit? If you'll quit easily, you don't have much will to purpose. If you'll quit because um, someone offended you, you don't have much will to purpose. But if you will slog through the storm and have a good spirit when you get there, that's will to purpose. And that moves heaven. That moves heaven. That moves heaven. In some way, that will to purpose, that refusal to be denied. If I have to say no to the flesh, I'm, I'll start right now. If I, I'm already saying yes to the spirit, I will add to that no, a divine yes and a carnal no. Uh, out of that somehow emerges this mysterious, this mysterious spiritual violence whereby faith reaches across the boundaries of the spirit material continuum. And we pull out of the spiritual realm the same limitless possibility that created the worlds and we through faith pull that across into the material world and then we live it in expectation we worship we praise we celebrate we speak pray with me right now lord jesus We want to be useful in the kingdom of God. We want to be, 
I don't want to say powerful because that's, there is no story of power in all of the human story that ends up prettily. They're all misuse and grotesque, but we're not looking for that kind of power. We don't want to dominate over anybody, particularly we claim a gospel of peace, love, and grace, and then we go around trying to take over the world. It, 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 why would we be successful in something you refuse to try to do? It's love that never fails. Uh, <clears throat> we want to be people of faith, but there's a challenge in our hearts, Lord, that we, we ask amiss. There's a challenge in our hearts that that we want this, this access to the eternal power of God because we don't want to suffer. And yet suffering is part of our story. There's no path where we don't suffer. It's the story of the flesh. It's the consequence of the fall. It's, it's life. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of troubles. So what kind of miracles would we seek if we weren't primarily interested in our own personal avoidance of trouble? What kind of miracles would we seek if we weren't primarily interested in the saving of self from any difficulty or what kind of miracles would we seek then? It might be that we had a better chance at those kind of miracles. Because if what we think faith is, is an escape from the limitations of the flesh, the relentlessness of aging and exhaustion, uh, we, we're asking according to our lusts, our fears, our wishes, our wants. Instead, we, we have to accept the fact that we're mortal and it's okay. You've got us. We're going to be sick sometimes. It's okay. You've got us. You may use that sickness as testimony to demonstrate the power of the spirit realm. We, through faith, might move you. It's in the scripture. Faith might stir and awaken divine potential. It might be that you have favorites. If that's the case, it's okay. We don't serve you, but you don't serve us. We serve you rather. So I want to focus on the practical response I can make, Lord, and that is the yes of prayer and the no of fasting. The yes of prayer. Yes, Lord. Yes to healing. Yes to revival. Yes to anointing. And no to carnality. No to a tongue that destroys other people. No to gossip. No to a negative report. No to carnal influence. No to nihilistic philosophy of the age. No to Hollywood conceptions of normal life. Yes to the spirit. Yes to the promises of God. Yes. Out of that somehow is going to come access to the spirit realm where we can exercise will to purpose and we can keep knocking and keep praying and keep praising and keep seeking. In Jesus' name we pray. We bless you, Lord, today and we glorify your name. Amen. God bless you all. I love you all. I love studying the scripture with you. I love, I love going to it and asking these kind of questions. I, it's, it's, it's the joy of my 
life to seek to rightly divide the scripture. Um, the weekend's coming. It's going to be a great day. Um, we'll see you then. God bless you all. I'm going to turn everybody's mics back on so you can, uh, if you want to speak to someone in the room, you can do so. We love you. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.